shore where the mountains meet the sea in a clapboard shack by a broken down tree. There's a light in the window, just salty gals inside. I'm not sure if they're witches, but you know that's implied. Got the storytelling, ego swelling, pillow talking, moonlight walking, sea hags. Welcome to the Sea Hags Podcast. My name is Chris Jeppa. And I'm Katie Nordren. And with us today is my new friend, Denise Berg. <laughs> she is a transplant from Texas and a comedian that uh, I've met doing open mics in the city. And I just really liked her. So uh, here she is. Hello. Hi, Denise. Hey. <laughs> hey, guys. Welcome to the Sea Shanty Shack in beautiful scenic industrial East Vancouver. Enjoying every moment. Thank you very much. <laughs> Fantastic. We, uh... Started off with a little bit of a hiccup with our new... The uh, fancy equipment is still not fixed yet, so we're still in the fucking blue Yeti snowball, and it was giving me grief, but I yes. fixed it, and I feel really good about myself. You did a great job, and I kind of love it, because it looks like like the Flight of the Navigator thing. Like, <laughs> just reminds me of, like, 80s movies, like we're talking to an 80s robot. And it's even got a little red light beep on boop, that. Beep, it's like, beep, boop. it's like looking back at us somehow. By the end of the show, it will be sentient, and it will take over. Oh, maybe so. it's going to learn from us, and it'll just Really feminist cool. shit. Yeah. yeah, it's gonna be great. Destroy, destroy, destroy. patriarchy, beep boop. <laughs> we have to like program it with like the things to look out for. So fedora, e-cigarette, <laughs> vapor. Sorry, <laughs> I saw a really cool vaping thing actually that might justify vaping. Oh yeah, what was that? Uh, it was a girl that had a thing for blowing bubbles, like a big bubble wand. Oh, okay. and she blew her like vape into the bubbles, and it made all these smoke bubbles, and then you'd pop them and smoke them out. That's pretty. It that's looked pretty really cool. beautiful. That's pretty. I'm not like I'm not that big of a hater on vapors, but um, my friend Kyle recently posted something on Facebook. He's like, "Should I? What do we call them? Vapors? Vapists?" <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh no. no, I really like it, but I also really hate it. So yeah, you know what? If you vape, great. Good, yeah. good job on not smoking, but yeah. still, please don't blow it in my face. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it smells like vanilla. We've <laughs> talked about this before. <laughs> How was your week, Denise? <laughs> week was great. Just getting adjusted to Canada still. Okay. So lots of How long lo- have you been in Canada for? Um, I've been here for two months now. Okay. Um, living in Chinatown. So always out exploring the neighborhood, mm-hmm. watching a lot of trash TV. Great. That's about great. it. How many, uh, how many weed dispensaries are there in your neighborhood? Too many. Too like, many. You would think the competition would take one of them out, but they are all booming. Just booming. Yeah. yeah it's probably because of what they're selling. <laughs> People want it for some reason. Oh, who knew? Go figure. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> She's looking at me. She's <laughs> looking at the dirtbag pothead over here. <laughs> Um, actually dirtbag was on my list of things to talk about today. Oh yeah. Well, we were, Katie and I were talking about how we want to have a bit of a dirtbag summer, you know, just because we, we got into the theme of it on Wednesday. We went on a date. Yeah. It was super nice. It's, uh, I had a social thing with some new coworkers and then Katie picked me up looking all cute. And we went and we found really super cheap wine in New Westminster and wine Wednesdays at the hub where a bottle of wine is half price. It's very dangereux, <laughs> and it's on tap, and it's Domaine de Chabertin, and it's delicious. $16 a bottle. Yeah, and so... that's so cheap for a restaurant. We're yeah. just like, more please! <laughs> yeah. We had a really good time, but then it's like, oh man, dirt bags. But uh, my check-in sort of this week is just realizing that I sort of need to pull it back on the dirt baggery a little bit. I've been... You know, running hot, new job feels good, I'm feeling super, like, competent, I'm really, like, getting into shit, I'm working in politics now, so, like, feeling, like, really, like, yeah, okay, getting shit done. You're, like, acting out Veep in your head all the time. (laughs) It'd be fun. But, uh, 
yeah, I just need to, like, find some kind of, like, rhythm, mm-hmm. because I've been going out every night. I looked at my calendar, like, next week I'm pretty much going out every night as well. There's, like, good comedy shows on, lots of good live music happening, like, all my friends have shows, and they always come to mine, so I have to go to theirs, like, because it's awesome mm-hmm. and supportive, but... I feel like my dirtbag summer needs to be, like, low-key dirtbag summer. I'm all How about the low-key dirtbaggery. <laughs> I'm really into it. I definitely, like, dr- yeah, two bottles of wine t- t- for both of us on Wednesday. It's not, like, crazy excessive, but it's th- it fucked up my sleep for yeah. sure. And I just can't. I just can't. Like, I'm 31 now, mm-hmm. so I, you get hangovers that are way worse. Yeah. I'm feeling like low-key dirtbag summer is more like go to the beach at 4, drink a bottle of wine on the beach, and then, like, still go to bed at a sensible time. <laughs> Make your lunch for the next day or something. Yeah, like, but, like, like, start earlier if you're yeah. going to be debaucherous. Yeah, absolutely. It's the staying up late that kills me, for sure. Mm-hmm. I dirtbag it until 10. <laughs> and then winding down and, like, asleep by 11, 11.30. Like, that's about as dirtbaggy as I want to get during the week. Uh, I've been dirtbagging it up hard on the weekends, though. It's kind yeah. of awesome. Staying up super late for me. Like, I was up till 3 last night. That when is do actually I, quite excessive. When do I ever do that? <laughs> it is almost never, like, New Year's. I was in bed before 3 on New Year's. Yeah. Fucking weird. How old are you, Denise? I will be 26 this summer. Okay. So. I, wanted, I want to talk about 30s a little bit just because it's starting to feel like it's really happening. So mm-hmm. I'm also 31. I just kind of feel like my 30s is going to be when I start discovering all these health problems that I've been ignoring. <laughs> You're going to say chin hairs or something. Well, oh, like... I've had those for a long time. There's a lot of plucking involved in my life, just in general. <laughs> but it's like all the stuff that I've been letting slide or like not preventing is all going to start really biting me in the ass in my 30s. Like, I think I have acid reflux issues, Uh-oh. you know, and like this back pain that I've been ignoring and I've developed a whole host of new allergies and whatever the fuck is happening with my feet right now. What's <laughs> wrong with like, your feet? I don't know. They're real cracky. And gross. Oh no! <laughs> like it's all, it's all kind of falling apart. You guys, <laughs> you're, just, you're a shack and you're falling down. So I feel, weather. I feel like I need a full body reset, big time. Oh, like a so. new body? That would be great if anyone could just like snap a new shell on top of this. <laughs> <laughs> like like one know, of those bath fitter things. Like, oh, this tub is horrible and disgusting. Let's just slap plastic over top of it and hope for the best. Yeah, so I bought new dresses from Old Navy, and maybe that will help. <gasps> I did that, too! That's weird! <laughs> oh, my God! I went online, and I was like, $150, got 13 things. Yeah. So, thanks, Old Navy. Yeah, Old Gravy, <laughs> as I like to call it. Because <laughs> it's like, I know these $12 jeans are going to fit my butt. It's yeah. about the only place. I don't know. I just feel like I'm at that point where I probably am going to do a juice cleanse. I'm, like, trying oh, no. to fight it. And oh, I know no. that I know that it's horseshit. Yeah, it's total horseshit, but it tastes good, and yep. then I don't have to think about what I'm eating for a week, and then I just like. But we also love crystals, and yeah. did an astrology episode. Like we're all about embracing yeah. things that are bullshit if it feels good. Yeah, and it just like I feel like it resets. Maybe not doesn't do anything for me really, but it, in my brain it does because I just like mm. don't drink booze and I don't eat you know chicken sandwiches that are two dollars <laughs> from Burger King like I just did before we started. <laughs> Not to, I don't know. I'm on a chicken sandwich cleanse. Yeah, (laughs) food, food is not a moral thing by any means, but it just like sometimes I just feel like I want to do a hard reset on all of my shit. That's totally fair. I I know. Totally. Now this episode was sponsored by Burger King, right? Yeah, absolutely. They're a terrible (laughs) sponsor. I honestly fucking I waited for so long for those two sandwiches. It was like 15 minutes for two sandwiches. Katie sent me a text. She's like, I'm gonna be late because Burger King is in its own hellscape right now. It it is like I've only listened to one episode of Welcome to Night Vale, but it really reminded me of that because it's like nothing is normal in here like the light is weird there's signs it's like sorry we are low on ice because it's hot and like that's a thing that happens. yeah and uh and there was just like three people working and they all kind of seem to be like on heroin 
So, you know, just like they were moving as if they were in a Velvet Underground song. (laughs) And so it was just a really surreal experience. I was like, give me my fucking sandwiches. And I was like, the only time I've ever felt really salty at service staff. I was just like, you're not even trying. (laughs) You're going so slow. Ugh. Hustle. Anyway, anyway I was like, hustle, give me my disgusting sandwiches so I can put it in my horrible before mouth. Before I have a chance to reconsider. This is the thing. <laughs> Fast food is fast for oh, a reason. I thought you better of it before to... I got the sandwich. Yeah. I was like, oh no. <laughs> ah, well, what are you going to do? There's another reason that my body's all out of whack this week, and it's because last week I had to cancel on Denise because I was helping my friend have a baby, and I stayed up for two days with her. Um, well, I actually slept quite a lot. Sorry. (laughs) For me, it was like a spa vacation. She pushed out a human and then I just went on with my life, but I'm like, I'm still sleepy. I still feel like I have so much sleep to catch up on. (laughs) It was just tiring to watch her. Oh, good job. It was so tiring. This was so exhausting to watch you do this. Yeah. Oh man. I had such a hard time. And she's like, excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me. My feet are up to my earlobes right now. (laughs) I I did help her do that. It was a very interesting way to see your friend. And she uh, pulled me out of doula retirement. I like had been to about 10 births before and was totally like, oh, I've got this. This is old hat. I forgot a lot of stuff. (sighs) I forgot how long stuff takes. I forgot like there's certain, like, breathing things that you're supposed to do, and, like, if I was more in the swing of, like, being a doula, I would have, like, done more things. Did you review your doula book beforehand? I did. Okay. We went through it together. We did all the exercises, like, but, you know, my friend Noelle, and we'll have her on, and she wants to maybe talk about this a yeah, little bit more. Yeah, she's one of the six people who listens to the show. <laughs> yes, and is probably going to be listening to this right now. Yay. Hey, Noelle. Yay. Um, hey, in the future. Yeah. But, uh... Like, she didn't really want a lot of hands-on, touchy-feely, massage Reiki doula shit, so she was like, I just want you to be my friend and come hang out with me and make me feel calm, and we watched a lot of Great British Bake Off, um, which is very soothing. And the all... ideal thing to watch if you're about to give birth, I'd yeah. say. Yeah, it's, like, very nesting-y, and everyone's Everybody's very kind. birth to mille fois, and, uh, <laughs> giving birth sp- and to sponge, and all those other things. You just hear Mary Berry's voice in your ear, <laughs> like, encouraging you to do it. <laughs> I don't know what she sounds like. Yeah. Actually, I can just see her face. Yeah. I haven't watched the show. She's like pushing the baby out. It's like, don't worry about the soggy bottom, darling. <laughs> It'll all be over soon. It's just like, yeah, I'd have my, my eyes on. The prize that my eyes would be on was would be Superkins, obviously. Oh, yeah. She's so hot. I mean. <laughs> I mean. Uh, but I did want to say one thing about how I forgot some stuff. Okay. And the nurses got mad at me. Oh, no. <laughs> and it was just one particular maternity nurse. We were helping my friend push out the baby. And I was breathing, I guess, along with her. And I was, like, stopping breathing at a certain time, and the nurse kept hitting me with her pen, and I was like, why are you hitting? And she's like, you're breathing wrong. You're making it so that, like, it's subtly influencing my friend to, like, exhale at the wrong time. I just didn't realize that I was doing it, but apparently that's a thing, and she just kept, like, hitting me with her pen. And then she looked at Noelle, and she's like, I thought when you went with this midwifery group, you got a doula. And Noelle's like, that is my doula. And she's like, oh... Oh, it was really shitty. My <laughs> God, that's such a bitchy thing to it say. It totally was. It was also like 9 a.m. and we've been up all night and stuff, but still like super encouraging, very helpful. Anyway, what a snarky dick. So, it's also not the thing to say when someone's giving birth. Like you don't want to create any experience where they question what's happening. Like, yeah. Oh, like it's is like, she qualified to be here? I don't know. Are you? <laughs> like, <laughs> Kind of. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the baby is right here. Yeah. So. And there wasn't anything else that I had to do necessarily, but she was just kind of like, I'm like, I'm her friend and a doula, but I'm not. Ah, God damn it. I felt really. (laughs) That's that's a shitty time to have your like expertise questioned for sure. Boo. Whatever. Boo that nurse. Well, she's never going to be on this show. Yeah. That's for sure. Fuck her. (laughs) (laughs) Don't know her. 
So, so yeah, so that was my like very exciting week, and now I'm back to normal, just like going to work. I played yeah. a wedding gig with my accordion player friend yesterday, and sweet. Just kind of chill. How was your week, Katie? Oh, that man. was a lot of a spew, but it was very yeah. exciting. So I've been, um, yeah, no, this big deal stuff. I uh, I've been dirtbagging it a little bit. Um, my girl still uh, not hasn't found a job yet, uh, which is like we're still doing fine, uh, but we're dirtbagging at the same time, and it's not good when both people in the house are dirtbaggy. Like there should be some adults there, <laughs> and it's still kind of me. I'm being like dirtbag adult, where I'll just like let it go and then just clean it up, and it's, you know whatever. That's not very interesting, but like that's that's been like the underpinning of everything. It's just sort of wanting to slack off, but feeling like I can't. And, uh, so I was just like, I was definitely having some up and down mood stuff this week and I was just a little bit cranky. And then right when I was like, I don't like anything, everything's stupid. I don't want to do comedy. Like it's too hard to put myself out there well, and yeah, hate it. You've been kind of saying like, I need to go up, you know, every night or a couple times a week or like, yeah, the pressure, the pressure in this sort of, um, like, cause we, we talked about this on that bonus app that we will release before this comes out. The idea that there is like one way to do comedy and there's so many more ways to do mm-hmm. it. Like, and it, even if you, not all stand-ups want to just do stand-up. They want to do, like, sketch, or they want to make web series or whatever. Uh, but, you know, I and I mostly primarily want to do stand-up. But I can't go up every night of the week. Like, I have a, an almost full-time job. I have, like, responsibilities and that kind of stuff. And it's just I live too far away from most places to mm-hmm. make that a really... And to just, like, get on. I, it would be fine if I could get a spot, but, like, going to an open mic and spending, like, four hours waiting or more, you know that, you know what, I'm looking in your eyes right now, Denise, you know what I'm talking about. It is very demoralizing. And just, like, eating a plate of fries and a beer and just trying to nurse it and make it last forever. And still, you have to pay money to do it and stuff, so it's a real pain in the ass. But, so I was really, <laughs> I was low. I was feeling like a low little shit. And then I got an email from Mr. Adam Pateman, from Instant Theater, who is my teacher for level one and two. And uh, he was like, hey, it was very last minute. I don't have your phone number. So would you be interested in a spot tonight? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I need somebody to headline my like classes showcase. And since you're a grad and you're doing really well, I'd like you to, can you come do it? I was like, fuck yeah, I can. So I just like went and did a spot on the Tuesday and got to do like eight, eight or nine minutes or something. And it went super well. Um, I got like a really nice compliment from an old dude after the show who was like, thank you for making me think about all of these things. I was like, God damn. That's amazing. Pew, 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 pew. (laughs) So I was really feeling like super hot after that. And, um, yeah. And then the rest of the week was like pretty good. Um, yeah, I've just been, I've been a little bit more social this week than I was last week, which is, I think really good for me. I was a little isolated and I think that's why I was so sad. Um, it's, you look, you look back and reflect and it's just like all these graphs going at the same time where it's like, why did I feel like garbage? Well, there was like 20 different things that added up to this. Totally. So I was really like, I was really low and I'm like, I'm not about to get my periods. What the fuck's up guys? (laughs) It's almost always, if I'm sad, it's hormones, which I shouldn't say on a recorded meeting because then people will be like, Oh, if you have emotions, it's just your period. (laughs) I mean, it probably is though. (laughs) Most of the time when I feel bad, it's because of my period. But generally speaking, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, so. good. yeah no, so everything's everything's really good. Um, I'm producing a show on June 12th. Uh, it's a Sunday. This episode is going to come out on June 21st. Okay, well, so. then uh, that's not going to help anybody. Hopefully, uh, <laughs> we're catching up to our backlog, but we're still pretty far in advance. Cool. But yeah, it's just, you know, it's just something I'm working on. So it's going to be at the Big Rock Urban 
urban brewing, I think, or urban eatery, I guess it's called. It's too many big words, but uh, yeah, it's I'm working with past guest Justin O'Hearn and uh, our friend Kyle Carpenter, and we're putting on a show with Graham Clark headlining, That's which cool. is so exciting for me because uh, Graham Clark's such a such a I was gonna say such a big fan of me. I'm like, oh my god, I'm such a big fan of Graham Clark. Uh, I love him so much <laughs> that I'm so excited that we were able to get him. I guess like Sunday is not a big day for most comics, so it's like let's do it on a Sunday. Why the fuck not? Have a nice little Sunday show that ends at 10 o'clock. Everybody can go home and be a human being. Mm-hmm. So that'll be good. That's something I'm really excited about. Never produced something before. Hope it goes well. Already sold two tickets. Yeah. <laughs> to you. I only bought one. <laughs> okay. It's just in your ticket. Tickets confirmation. No, I just bought one. Yeah. <laughs> well. I could bring a friend. One ticket. I'm going to try to promo it. And Great. That'd be awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So that's it. Um, I feel like we cut you off a little bit. Denise, anything else cool <laughs> happening for you this week? <laughs> uh, no, no. I mean, um, we both haven't recorded for a while. So, so we had a lot like, to catch up vomit on. vomit <laughs> into the microphone. <laughs> no, I feel that being unemployed is weird. Like time moves differently when mm-hmm. you don't have any way to like pass your days. Yeah, and I am in like this eternal rut where most nights I do or I try to do stand up. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's getting really difficult because uh, I moved to the country to be with my husband. So I I, I don't always want to leave the house at the only time I'm going to see him. Mm-hmm. So it really has just been like a blank slate of me fucking around on guitar and watching competition reality shows. Because <laughs> you're not allowed to work. I legally can't work until I get my visa from the government, which should happen hopefully within the next two months. Um, but we are reaching the point where if I don't get my clearance soon, like money then becomes a real issue. Right. It gets harder to do comedy stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And also just the cabin fever of it. Like, oh, of course. In a literal like 600 square foot cabin just all day every day. Yeah. Um, it can be very tiring, mm-hmm. and I have no excuse to feel tired. That's well, sure you do. I, I'd say the inertia, that sounds pretty exhausting. Inertia is exhausting. <laughs> it's totally exhausting. I totally feel that. Mm-hmm. I took I took Thursday off of work, and I was just like, well, I was actually already really tired, but I was just like, <laughs> oh man, not doing stuff is not making me any less tired. Mm-hmm. I'm just like logie as. Uh, yeah, because you kind of get into that rut almost of just like I'm so sleepy, and you can't really like. There's nothing to really kick your own ass out of. Doing a thing sometimes. Totally. You watch, like, two seasons of Daria in a week, and you're like, I'd rather just stay on this couch, because the thought of just even going for a walk in my neighborhood feels like a heavy task. Mm-hmm. Totally. And and you just lose all of your momentum yeah. in those moments. Mm. That's so hard. Momentum's such an important thing to me to, like, get yeah. anything done. I can't. Like, the getting yourself up from, like, stuck to the couch sta- mm-hmm. status... Mm-hmm. So hard. Yeah. I definitely do, like, when I'm running errands, I'll get, like, six things done in a day, or I'll get nothing done in a day, basically. Yeah. Yeah. All or nothing. All or nothing. I do everything all or nothing. I I saw a good article online that was about, like, tips for, basically, like, exercise tips for depression. I'm like, oh, let me read this. This sounds very applicable to me. And it's very much about, like, just doing a little thing. And even the littlest thing is better than not doing any things. And I was trying to apply that to myself as well, where it's like, if I just go for a little walk, I'm going to feel a little bit better because it's at least a little bit more like than just sitting on my sofa watching like Lady Dynamite, which is very funny. Very. Any of it yet? I've only seen the first it three episodes. First episode. I only saw the first episode. It is bananas. Yeah. I am so happy that it exists. Yeah, me too. Like, it's the first thing that's come out this year that I have grasped onto so excitedly and said, thank you, like, for making this happen. Mm-hmm. Mitch Hurwitz and Maria Bamford yeah, for doing this thing. I just thing. adore just, the shit out of her. It's very funny. <laughs> Lennon Parham and Bridget Everett mm-hmm. are incredible. Like, everyone. Uh, we yeah. love Lennon. 
Yeah. I mean, don't, it's not that I don't love Bridget, but I love Lennon Parman. So I assume we're all Claire. best friends forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we're, yeah. We all love the same kind of comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're all very into, like, the same niche weirdo comedy. Yeah. Which is so great. And we'll get into that. It's going to be so much fun. We love talking about the shit we love. We just, you know, do other podcast bits constantly, which is terrible. I do that. Anyway. <laughs> I caught, I caught my, you caught me doing that on our last episode. I was like, oh no, that came out. Yeah. Doing the not feeling it chicken from You Made It Weird. Yep. It's okay because we got matching t-shirts with that said chicken on it. And we just wear them together. Different colors, thankfully, but we're still going to be like, hmm, just not feeling it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Um, Well, so I I think we're all caught up. So maybe do we want to get into your journey? (laughs) And you can't see like the cool hand motions I'm doing right now. I'll put a sparkle filter on in post. (laughs) That'd be really, can you do that? To just make like the sound of like a wind chime tree or something. That'd be so cool. I'll see what I can do. I I do want this to sound like I'm Delilah. Just like relaxing wind chimes. Do you guys have Delilah? What's that? Oh, this might be a US specific thing. Okay. Delilah is a radio host. She has her own show. It's on every channel across the country at like 7 p.m. to like 3 a.m., like somewhere in that block. Wow. She's always on somewhere. Okay. And her whole thing is it's like, Delilah. And people send her letters, and it's like, Delilah, my husband left me. I don't know what to do. And she's like, Dear Stacy. And she has a very calming voice. It's always one tone. She's like, Stacy, I'm going to send a little recommendation out for you. Just follow your heart. This next song goes out to Stacy and any other lover out there who's uh, having a hard time finding a way through. And it's always like a Reba McIntyre ballad. Like, that's, that's Delilah. I just found out that the internet has graced us with, like, archives of Delilah. Oh, that's awesome. So if that's ever anything that you guys Holy are like... Holy shit, I think I have... Okay, I think... I've talked to you before about my friend Nikki, because she's also from Austin, mm-hmm. uh, and has wild hair and all that kind of stuff, so I feel like you guys would really get along. Uh, but <laughs> she... Those are the only things you need to have in common with somebody. Uh, but I'm pretty sure she's talked about her before, which is so... I can't imagine, like, listening to a, a show on the radio... The radio. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> it's almost exclusively meant to be listened to if you're on an excruciatingly long road trip. Or like a night shift yeah, or oh something. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's just on in the background. Nobody chooses to listen to yeah. Delilah, but you're always happy to hear her voice. I was trying oh, so hard so <laughs> to think of a Reba McIntyre song that would be like a good... Uh, a good response to that kind of letter. And I was I like, can make you love me. I was thinking of, uh, I was like, <laughs> what are her songs? And I like trying to flash back to listening to country music television when I was a kid. And I could just, all I got is that's a nap when the lights went out in Georgia. This <laughs> <laughs> just like, uh, a botched execution song basically, which oh, is no. not so great. I mean, she also did fancy, which is a oh, yeah. song about a Here's mom. Your, yeah. Prostituting her yeah, child. Prostituting Here's her your child. one chance fancy. Don't let me down. That was the other one I could think of. Shit. <laughs> did she do and still? Is that her too? Oh, I can't wow. remember. I'm not sure. Uh, no, that's a dude. It's a dude. Uh, oh, it's all just blurring together. It's like it's Randy Travis, actually. I fucking love country music. <laughs> don't tell anybody. <laughs> Anybody's listening, don't tell anybody that I like country. <laughs> I get made fun of it for, for it all the time. So yeah, Delilah. Delilah. So sprinkles. We're going to have some shimmers. On I that. mean, if you're hearing this and you've heard the wind chimes all through this whole segment, then you'll know <laughs> that you're I able was able it. to do it. Excellent. We'll see what Excellent. happens. So, I should, I, like, of all the percussion instruments in this house, you'd think we'd have a bell tree. I'll go try to see if we do. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you do somewhere. I do. closet. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> like the thing that Bo Burnham hits when he does poetry. Yes. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, yeah, that's the tits. You gotta get one of those. <laughs> we really should have one for the podcast. It'd be so satisfying. Oh my god. Anyway, sorry, we totally interrupted. We just got really excited about Delilah. It happens. 
<laughs> Delilah is like a stronghold in the American radio scene. Um, she's really all we have. She's the antidote to man cow. <laughs> Basically. Or Howard Stern, I guess. <laughs> oh um, boy. Yeah. Like growing up, all I remember were really long road trips to my grandmother's house. Uh, they lived in Arkansas for a bit. We had extended family up near Little Rock, essentially. Mm-hmm. It's like a six-hour car ride. And it would always be evening, and Delilah would come on. And my sister and I, who are really the only two in our family who get along, like mm-hmm. me and my sister have been pretty tight forever, just, like, looking at each other, being like, I can't do this again. I can't listen to Delilah. Like, we were, like, 11 and 5, and we're just like, we're out. <laughs> Is she older or younger than you? Uh, she's younger. I'm oh, the oldest little, of four. little BB sister. Yeah, she's my little, uh, my little protege. She's, uh, <laughs> up causing a ruckus in Austin right now. Nice. So that makes her 19? Yeah. 19? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm good at math? Mm-hmm. No, I'm not. <laughs> Medium at math. So you are from Texas originally, then? Yeah, I am from Texas. I grew up there my whole life. I lived in a tiny town, 2,000 people, you know, the same people you went to high school with or the people you went to kindergarten with were the people who you were expected to just stay in the same town you go to college with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The and world's tiniest college. They were all Christian colleges. Um, and they all did the same thing our high school did, which is like, we're not teaching evolution. That's an unproven theory. Oh, Oh yeah, it's great. Real. The, uh, so this is like the the actual you had the true lived experience of the stuff that is just a concept to us that there could be a school that would do this. Like so it, you lived it. Yeah, it's it's what the that like? <laughs> it's the weird encapsulation of you know growing up in Friday Night Lights. Like my town was one town over from the town that all of that was based on. Just like aggressive football culture, no funding for anything else, abstinence only sex education, just the highest teen pregnancy rate in the state. And Bullshit. no one really did well in that town. Right. Like, it, it's just, there are a lot of socioeconomic forces that push down on all the people who lived in our town. Mm-hmm. And to move away is almost seen as a slap in everyone's face. Um, a lot of the families, my family in particular, are very excited to stay where they are. They have this, like, mythology. Yeah. yeah, this, like narrative in their head that settling roots there and staying there through the good and the bad is what makes you a good person, not mm. looking for anything beyond it. Right. That's like the, we're like enduring and we're, you know, we have like, we're proud of our like town and everything and we're going to stay here and like leaving would be like abandoning family almost or something yeah. like that. It, it's or... exactly. Abandonment yeah. is kind of the thing that they've railed against the few of us who have, you know, my sister and I are both the two that moved out. We moved to Austin, which is kind of you know, the one spot in Texas where there's a lot of culture and a lot of different ideas. It's the place you go and you grow because God knows when you graduate high school from East Texas, like I didn't have any concept of like my feminist beliefs or like where I wanted to be in life or what I truly thought about anything. Mm -hmm. I just had, you know, culture is on a delay. You don't get anything for like two years. Everything's so slow to trickle down to that particular part of the country that you just didn't have access to the things that maybe you would have grasped onto that would have like made being a teenager a lot easier. Mm. Yeah. Um, it sounds really isolating in that way. So then it's like you go to Austin, you're just like, Oh, there's so many other options. Oh my goodness. There's so many things that I had no idea that I could actually be or do. Totally. And, and the sad thing is when you leave a situation like that, you know, it, as much as you want it to be instant, as much as you want to grasp onto all these things, you realize that, like, growing up in that town, and I was also raised Catholic, I had a lot of, like, deep programming almost to do, like, oh, to yeah. figure out 
that I could allow myself to not feel guilty about things that I was interested in or the mm-hmm. things I wanted to pursue or the people I enjoyed being with. It, it took, you know, a solid year and a half, two years before I'd finally kind of wiped away all of that mm-hmm. and started with a clean slate at like 1920 and mm-hmm. said, oh, fuck. I, I messed up everything. Aww. Like, I need to redo the past, like, seven years. And so it, it almost feels like you're just on the wrong track from the start. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time. time ago at the same time, too. Yeah. This is, like, that's six years ago, right? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. It's 2010. And, and I constantly, like, I, I am a person who never feels like I'm going to be caught up. You know, I think mm. that with the things that I love, I really love the pop culture stuff. I love the film. I love the, the music I love. Like that, those are things that matter to me because right. they hit a certain, like for anybody, mm-hmm. they, they speak to you. Of course. But you know, when I was growing up, I was lucky. My dad, um, had given me all of his Bowie albums and oh, his Blondie yeah. albums. And those were the two things that meant the world to me. Yeah. And I didn't quite get it. It wasn't like any other album he had. And it was mm-hmm. stuff that he even disowned as he got older. Mm-hmm. But to me, it was this, like, one weird glimmer of hope. I was like, this, this stuff is cool. Why why can't I find this stuff you on the radio? You can be a glittery sex alien. Yeah. Like, it's an option. But <laughs> even in my head, it was always, like, filtered through, this is just a weird one-off thing that Dad liked once when he was younger. Yeah. But I kind of like it, too, so I'm just, like, you know, around. Yeah. And then I got out, and I was like, oh, no, this is, like, very important to me, and I should have given myself over to it more. Mm. Like... And just with all of that stuff, you always feel like you're never quite on par with anyone else. Right. Like, I envy people who, you know, grew up fully thrown themselves into, like, the Riot girl shit or into, like, any kind of local scene. All we had was, you know, like you said, like, CMT and yeah. football culture. And if you didn't fall into that or, mm-hmm. like, Southern Baptist Bible Belt beliefs, yeah. you really didn't do well. Yeah. Yeah, wow. It's something that I never really thought of as like, oh yeah, that's my that's part of my privilege would be like the access I had to entertainment. Like that didn't really it's not something that's ever really clicked for me before, but realizing that I grew up in I was like, Oh, I grew up in North Delta, but I grew up in Greater Vancouver, right? Yeah. Like and I had the internet at eleven. And so I had access to all this stuff and I was listening to like I was listening to David Boyd by the time I was thirteen yeah. and like getting really into it and like looking up labyrinth fan fiction <laughs> online and stuff and so like what a privilege that we were able to access that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It is kind of I've heard this sentiment a lot from folks though, where they're just like, I feel like I'm so behind that there are so many people that I've heard say that that I'm just kinda like, I think everybody's just in very different places yeah. and there is no, no one's truly got their finger on the pulse. Yeah, and there's no like standard place that you should necessarily be at this time. Like, just the circuitous, like, we were kind of talking about that as a theme, like, this, the weird, windy ways that you get to where you are today. Yeah. And maybe it's not the prescribed way that a lot of people did their shit or were told to do their shit, but even the people that, like, did everything a society told them also are like, I feel like I'm way behind because I missed out on all of these mm-hmm. things. I didn't go traveling. Instead, I just, like, got a job or, like, yeah. those things, right? So I'm really trying to deprogram myself from those like thinking that there is a standard that I should be mm-hmm. living up to. I find and, it so easy to say that to other people and then hard to say it to yes, myself. Of course. <laughs> well, with all of course. good things. That's, yeah. that's yeah. how that works. It's yeah. so easy to see I'm like how did I how did I leave it till I was thirty to try stand up? Like how? How could I have done that? Like I wanted to do it for 10, 15 years mm-hmm. and I just waited too long. Sophie Bottle started when she was fifteen. She's twenty one now she's doing meltdown in LA. What the fuck? Like why didn't I do that? Yeah. So that's like, but you look like, at someone younger than you who's more successful at this thing, and you're like, 
why didn't I do that? Like, can I get back in my time machine? And I just know. like, you can't. But though. think about yourself at 21, and would you have been doing the same kind of comedy that you're doing now with no, all of the amazing life like, experience? Yeah, I would have totally had. like faked it and just like done what everybody else was doing and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So, so there's it wouldn't have been good. You know, there are not to be all too like mystical, like there's a reason, but it's like literally if you did try to do that thing, it wouldn't have meant as much. Oh. And maybe like you finding like all this pop culture stuff that you liked, if you had found that while you were still immersed in your like smaller town culture, you wouldn't have been able to really enjoy it anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. even if you knew that it was there. So you found it at the time when you were free to like really start exploring that stuff. Totally. And and I think that I'm, I'm very lucky, you know, speaking of like experiences that make you privileged. Yeah. Um, I was lucky to go to a university right outside Austin. Um, in hindsight, it was one I really couldn't afford. <laughs> like I am that happens. drowning in debt. Oh, but no. Shout out to uh, any U.S. federal aid collectors. <laughs> Sally Mae's um, listening right now. Yeah. Uh, Naviant. Still uh, trying to call my old phone number. Change <laughs> that. Um, Fuck, man. I, I died. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. Um, I went to this university. It was really small. Um, and I found comfort in, like, a small university because sure. my high school was so small. <laughs> and in some ways, that wasn't the best choice for me. Um, I should have pushed myself to expand out to meet new people to, like, really take charge and grasp onto new ideas Mm -hmm. but I had a professor who was very diligent about like helping me find my voice um in comedy specifically which is weird because I took a public speaking course it was required for my major and I always like to lean toward humorous speeches because I'd grown up watching Saturday Night Live with my dad it was Mm -hmm pretty much the only bonding experience I had with him every Saturday night he would like sneak into my bedroom and like not let mom know I was, you know, awake. awake. Yeah. And we would watch Saturday Night Live. Aww. And it was the one thing that I remember growing up thinking was so cool and radical. And I didn't always understand what was going on. Right. But I remember thinking, this is the most fun I've ever seen on a TV show. Like, this is the coolest, like, thing. What that- cast was it when you were watching it with your dad? I'm curious. We He had a lot of old VHS tapes of, like, okay. the old, old stuff, so the original right. cast, and then um, a lot of the David Spade, like, Chris Farley, right. um, but when I started watching, like, regularly on my own, when yeah. I was old enough to get the cultural references, it was um, Amy Poehler, Rachel Dratch, Maya yeah. Rudolph. Like, the best cast. That was, yeah, that was mine, too. Yeah, yeah that, that was the cast that made me, for the first time, like, I never considered comedy a thing I'd, I could do. I didn't know that was something I was allowed to do. Mm-hmm. But it was always something I really loved. And they were the people that made it seem, like, even more accessible to me. Mm-hmm. So I went to this mm-hmm. university, and my professor had suggested that I take this internship in New York with the New York Arts Program, which is just, like, a bunch of people who connect students with random internships around the city, um, with dance, with art, with music. And he knew someone who worked at SNL. Oh, shit! shit. And, and it was... A long process. I had to interview both with the program and SNL. But I was just, like, a little podunk pumpkin. Like, I'd never been on a plane. Oh, yeah. Here I am, y'all. Like, I'd never been on a plane until I went to go interview at SNL. Oh, my god. Like, the first time I took the subway was me by myself going to 30 Rock. Wow. Like, I... Wow. Yeah, it was... I was terrified, and of I course. wore this terrible J.C. Penny blazer with like pink pinstripes. <laughs> like it was the most ill-fitting, disgusting blazer I've ever seen. <laughs> and I thought it made me look very professional because that's all I wanted. I wanted to be a big city comedy person. And so I have a blazer for a lady comic. It's a rule. Oh, 
But that blazer. That blazer. It was like one from my debate days. It hadn't made the round since 2007. <laughs> and 2011, it was still kicking. Um, <laughs> but I got that internship, and I worked in the music department on the show for six months. Cool. And that, yeah, it basically just meant that I was a gopher. Um, I got to go back and forth for the musical guest in the house band, um, which is like full of weird stories. Like, you, you know, I bought. Tom York of yoga mat. That's a fun thing I did. But it was... Well, that'll be very relevant to our listeners. They all love Radiohead. <laughs> but, like, beyond that internship, which is very fulfilling and interesting, I got to... I lived a block away from UCB. Wow. And that was the most magical thing I could have done. Because I was going to ASCAP every Sunday, my only day off. I would sit on the sidewalk from, like, 3 p.m. till Doris to get the free tickets, because I was broke as fuck. Yep. Uh, my friend Internship, you said. Oh, yeah. Unpaid internship in New York City. Yeah. I had no money. And my friends and I would go and, like, write stories or, like, crack jokes for five hours until it was time to get tickets. And Chris Gethard, who is um, a comedian of note, maybe, mm-hmm. um, started hosting the show. And we ended up going to his show, which is this weird public access nightmare, like, punk-fueled, sad sack comedy yes. for weirdos and... Like, it was the first time outside of anything I can think of where I truly felt like I was home. And that's a weird feeling to hit when you're 21 and you're in a weird city where you don't know anyone and you've had all these years at home, like, the place that should have been home. And realizing that, like, there's so much packed into those memories, a lot of negativity, a lot of Mm -hmm. things that hurt... And there's this one place that's pure, and it's open, and it's yours. Oh, my God. And that was the thing that sparked me. Like, that was the time that told me I could do something. Like, they were the people who encouraged me to not just be a passive agent, but to... Participate. Yeah, to make something and not give a fuck what anyone says about it because it's yours and you made it. Oh, I love it so much. And, like, just going back to, like, the one teacher at the one college that was like, hey, maybe you should do this thing, and they just happened to have, like, the connection, like... It seems sort of fatey, yeah. honestly. It seems pretty fatey. And this is, like, only part of the story. No. I know it gets crazier from here out. But that's the thing. I do believe, like, maybe not in fate, but mm-hmm. I really believe that if I sit down and track how I got here... It's a crazy, like, it's not linear, like you Mm -hmm. said. It's going to be all over the place, and the events don't line up. But when I really think about all the good and bad experiences, like any other life, and you see where you are, you're like, like, I understand how this happened. Like, this is a weird chain of events, but I'm here. Mm -hmm. Like, I moved back to New York after school. So you did, you did the internship and then you went back to Texas and then came back to New York because you're like, this is my place. Yeah. These I, are my people. It, I had six months left to school and I rushed through them. I never lived in my own apartment. I lived in dorms. I worked at the movie theater back home in the summers in college. Good for you for actually going back and finishing, though, because I feel like I would have been tempted to just be like, fuck it and oh, yeah. just stay in New York. But if you're going to go into debt, you might as well finish. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was it was um it was really hard to leave yeah. and I got back and I was so excited I had all these stories and all these big things that happened finished my degree I worked for three months in uh, San Antonio which was terrible like I was living with family just trying to like make ends meet mm-hmm. and I saved like six hundred dollars and at that point I decided I had enough to buy a plane ticket why wouldn't I just move 
very naive. Like, you're giving me the eyes, and I know in hindsight, looking back... No, no, back, I mean, I'm not... It, I don't even think it's that stupid, honestly. It's like, you're going to struggle wherever you are. Why don't you struggle where you want to be? And I... That was my, my thought at the time, but I also, like, I truly believed that $600 was enough to move me and get me an apartment. I was so naive. I never had anyone guide me through that process. Oh, my, yeah. like my parents had no idea what was like. They they never checked in on me. Mm-hmm. I can name like five times they ever called me, and it was to ask you know for you know money or help or something. Mm. So I was very much <laughs> on my own, and I got there, and I was hopping around on couches. I was carrying suitcases all through Manhattan, like on the train, like every night moving to a different location. Oh my god, what a like. I just see that as a short film already. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you cramming suitcases oh. through the turnstiles to get onto the subway. And like, like you, you don't... It feels like B-roll from a Broad City episode. Yeah. <laughs> it, it really was. Like, you don't understand your strength until you've carried, like, two full rolling suitcases over... Of your whole life. Yeah. Like, it. everything you need, essentially, everything that mattered to me, just running through the subway station. I mean, like, <sighs> passing through people to catch the train. And oh so... My God. Yeah, I, I took on every shitty job I could. I worked at a gourmet supermarket where people above us would come down and buy caviar, but they gave me, like, hot bar scraps at the end of the night, so food <laughs> was taken care of. Working um, in food service was such a boon when I was in my early 20s, like, in finishing school and stuff. Like, oh, yeah. all the free sandwiches at the coffee shop, like, all the fucking free bagels I could take home at the end of the day, the oh, day yeah. they called bagels. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> She's from New York. They're called bagels. Totally (laughs) worth interrupting me. (laughs) Oh, the the salt. New York City. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) But yeah, so you got hot bar scraps. and Hot bar scraps and and bagels. That too. Like, uh, I lived, or I worked near Union Square. So there are always restaurants just, like, throwing stuff out at the end of the night. And, like, you get really good at, like, delicate dumpster diving. (laughs) Like, you, you, you understand how long something can be in a New York dumpster before it's not edible. <laughs> and it's a lot of trial and error. Um, but I, it slowly got better. Like, any shitty situation, I had, like, a really bad night where I had to sleep in the park. And I was like, we can't do this again. Mm-hmm. And so I took on another job at Barnes & Noble. And I was working there constantly. They had a break room. The security guard let me sleep there a few nights. Wow. He wasn't supposed to. And... I just started saving every goddamn penny. I had one friend come through, lent me a few hundred dollars. I got an apartment, like a basement suite, some guy named Dexter in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. Wow. It's Yeah, it's 45 minutes away from anything. It's in Russian mob territory. Like, he and his girlfriend just speak Russian all the time, so they always sound like they're very angry, but I can't figure out if they actually are. And I never left my bedroom. I had an air mattress that the person I was dating bought me at the time. I had an air mattress and I had my two suitcases and that was my bedroom. And I was so fucking thrilled to have that air mattress. Oh, yeah, because you were sleeping in the break room before. Like, now you had a room of your own. I, I, like, bought a pillow from Target. Like, I got, like, the the fancy, like, $14 pillow. It's, like, a step up. (laughs) And so I had my fancy pillow on this air mattress that I had to, like, like, inflate once a week. It wasn't that bad. But (laughs) that was... Luxury. Yeah, I made it. You know, like, I did that on my own. And I slowly got better. I slowly worked harder and, and saved money. And then I moved into another apartment. A real apartment had a lease. But um, I wasn't on the lease. My two friends were. Mm-hmm. And then they realized that they needed to raise the rent on me. 
um, $200, and they kicked me out. And what do you do when you've put all your eggs in one basket, you know? Was it, like, an immediate kick out, or...? I had two weeks. I was staying with somebody in Connecticut um, that I was dating at the time. Um, It was a real messy breakup after that. Yeah. Um, It was just kind of all the things at once. Doesn't that always happen? Hey, like, just, it starts to just fucking pile on sometimes, and it sucks. And I think that, but I think that it's also, like, things that pile on like that. Like, I was a selfish asshole. I'm completely to blame for a lot of those situations. Mm. Um, And I ended up... In East Texas, living in my parents' garage at 23, like, Mm. I had done all these things. I was living in a place where they had to drive me to work so I could save money to move out. And, you know, our relationship was never good. It got worse. Um, Yeah, going back is so hard when you're like, I have already done all this stuff in New York and that's where I want to be, but I can't and it feels almost like... I didn't make it or whatever. I failed. And it just like the shame of that and the hardness of that going back to then live at home when you were like a fully independent adult for a long time, like doing good shit. I think that's exactly it. (laughs) When you get close to figuring out what you want to do, you kind of build like an imaginary framework in your head, right? Mm -hmm. You start validating your talents or your creative pursuits by little check marks. Like I'm, doing stand-up two nights a week. I'm, like, working on writing this. I'm going and collaborating on that. You start making progress through that checklist. Mm-hmm. When I moved back, it felt like I'd thrown my checklist and everything I'd done out the window. Mm. Like, it it immediately felt like nothing had happened. And, again, like, when I lived there, when I moved back, it was mostly so I could go to the Chris Catherine show every single week, and I did. I was a part of the, like, this wonderful community. They were the people who helped me, like, when I didn't have a home. They were letting me stay on their couches. Mm. They would make sure I'd been fed that week. They would Mm -hmm. bring me, like, little snacks if they knew I'd be at the show that night. And we would all go out and, like, dance to shitty 90s music at the bar after the show Mm. every week. Sugar Ray all night. (laughs) (laughs) All night. All night. All night and every morning. Thank you. That was very validating. That, that was that was the best Sugar Ray joke I've heard um, this week. <laughs> Even with all of Sugar Ray appearing on Lady Dynamite. Yeah. Good point. Mark, Mark Sugar Ray McGrath. Mark Sugar Ray McGrath. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, continue to see the play. So these people have been really, really like they, this was family for you. It was it, the Chris Gethard show audience and yeah, everyone involved. Um, I moved back home thinking. Know that I'd lost everything. And I, I'm sure that everyone hits that bottom, right? We all sure. hit a point where it's just, it feels lost. Mm-hmm. And especially to grow so much and to come back to that place where I felt isolated, where I felt like I didn't have access to culture, where I felt mm-hmm. like no one understood what I was about and I maybe didn't the entire time I lived there. Mm-hmm. All that anxiety and that frustration just in that house. Yeah. Like, you can't get through that. Um, but I started talking to the Chris Gathery people online, like you do, mm-hmm. like looking for community, desperate for community. Because mm-hmm. God knows there's no like comedy rooms in East Texas. There's no one making the stuff that I want to make in East Texas. And if they are, I didn't know where to find them. Mm-hmm. And so I started talking to a few people. I met my husband just chatting like about the Chris Gathery show when I had moved back. And um, 
slowly built up money again. Mm -hmm. I worked at Starbucks. Like, do you know how demeaning it is to work at Starbucks in East Texas when Starbucks is, like, the high-class, like, choice Starbucks? Oh, you're highfalutin. Like, Starbucks is the place that people would go, and they feel very good about having their order, and it's their tradition, and... And it's the only place in East Texas where people feel, like, validated in choosing it. It's a very weird, yeah. like, social hierarchy thing. Like, Starbucks is this, like, signifier. It's a status symbol. Yeah. Yeah. And so I would work the Starbucks drive through and people I'd go to high school with, like, would come up and be like, I thought you were in New York. I thought you were oh, in New York City. Yeah. God. And they'd do it just to get under my skin, and it did. I was so depressed. Like, I felt so shitty. It was like... Okay, I had a good run. Like, I did one cool thing. I had that SNL internship. That was yeah. pretty rad. Oh, like, that's my thing for my life, yeah. I guess. Like, Great. I peaked at 21. Fuck. That's a that's a thing I did. Maybe I'll figure Most out what to Most of those other next. people peaked at 17, though. So, <laughs> at least you... At least you like, when you said that, like, they, yeah. to, they would do it to get under, under your skin, and I'm like, yeah, like... Holy shit! You know for a fact that they're way worse people. Like they're not good people for doing that because they're like, oh yeah, I'm a quarterback. I'm gonna get a football scholarship. Oh wait, school's really hard. I don't like it. Oh, here I'm back in my hometown again. I'm married my high school girlfriend. <laughs> you know, like it's that's boring. And 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 the thing is, I have friends. Like I do have friends who still live that, and they are so excited. Like. They got married at 18, and they have four kids now, and that's that's rad for them. Like, Well, check in with them when they're 42 and see how they're doing. Like, I'm serious. <laughs> I just, know? I want to believe that, I want to believe what they believe, which is that mm-hmm. they made those choices and they're happy. Mm-hmm. I want, I just want everyone to be happy with their choices. Yeah. I just you wasn't just happy in that place. it wasn't your choice to be there. Exa- yeah. Thank you. That's exactly yeah. what I keep trying to remind myself because again going back to family going back to roots Mm -hmm. when you've dislocated yourself from that and you try to replant even temporarily it's impossible to get anyone's respect or or admiration if if the people there are so hung up on like you abandoned us like you thought you were too good for us you had to leave you had to go see some other yeah and then yeah then there's that condescension of like we told you that you couldn't do it we told you that you weren't good enough to go or something like that like i hate that insidious attitude so much there's a real there's a real idea that like that's that's what they're they're, they're bonbons that they're eating it's like the <laughs> your suffering is their candy almost because it's like oh see like i was right and you were and wrong see, and that i get taking to... taking risks is hard and that's why i didn't do any because i would have wound up like you and instead i just took the safe route and that's like now you, i'm smug as fuck like you it. getting punished for taking those risks is like a, it justifies their own choices basically oh absolutely you have no idea how many Bless her hearts, I got. Oh, Jesus. Oh, bless her hearts. Sounds heart, so nice. Know? It sounds so nice on the surface. Oh, but you know it's just so vile underneath. Oh, yeah. Bless her heart. She had to move back from New York. Did you hear what happened? Oh, no. Did you hear? Did you hear? No, it's, you must really have related to some of the, well, you'll keep watching Lady Dynamite where she goes back to Duluth and everybody's like super shit. Oh, your big Hollywood money didn't get you any blah, blah, blah. I'm and really now you're in the Hooskow. So. <laughs> yeah. God. I don't know. Like. I think that shitty situations always put a fire under your ass mm-hmm. if you want to change them. I don't think it always makes you able to change them. I think that shitty situations are often outside of most people's control. Oh, yeah. Totally. But it, when you have the ability to... Like, I had my mom and dad drive me to Starbucks from 4 a.m. to 9 p.m. almost every day. I'd take, like, an hour and a half break in the middle of that shift, and I would just so work... You're working doubles, basically? Anything to stay out of the house. Right. Because when I was in the house, I was so sad, and it became self-destructive. I would drink... Mm. 
all day. Like, just a haze. Yeah. And it was because I didn't know what else to do, and I felt so alone in that space. Mm -hmm. And so by the end of it, I, like, went to Austin for one day. I rented a car. I drove out. I found the shittiest apartment. It was one room out of four. I'd live with, like, seven people. There was no room in the fridge. I just ate nothing but Domino's pizzas because I could keep them in my bedroom. But I, I found this house. Right. And I told my parents, hey, March 1st, like, I just need you to help me get these two twin mattresses down there and I'm done. Mm-hmm. Like, thank you. That's all I'll ever ask for. Yeah. And while you were living back with them, were they, they were driving you to work and stuff, but were they kind of just not being very supportive in the, like, were you able to keep writing and being creative during that time or it was just a little bit like... Was just Everything kind of shut down, yeah, and you yeah. were totally just working your ass off just to get out, basically. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I mean, I was broken. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I thought that I had done what was right, and I felt like I had taken it away from myself. Mm. Oh, it's heartbreaking. And and you know when you make those mistakes, like you know that it's you. Like I know that if I hadn't fucked up that relationship, maybe I would have still been there. I don't think that would have been right for either of us. Mm-hmm. No. So that's, yeah. you can see that in hindsight, right? Which right. kind of helps a little bit. But at the time, it's yeah. like drunk phone calls at 3 a.m. Like, nobody wants to be that person. Mm-hmm. And I was just broken. And so, yeah, I stopped writing. Mm-hmm. I didn't have drive. And, you know, my mom and my dad even, like, he passed away recently. But my mom, specifically, I think she means well. And I know she always has. I know she loves us. Mm-hmm. But she has her own stuff that she never could sort through mm-hmm. before being a mom to us. Mm-hmm. And it has tinted every, like, bit of our relationship to the point that, I like, I can't talk to her. Mm-hmm. It's self-preservation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Living in that space again was... Oh, my God. Like, all the things you talk about, like, I don't know. It's it's hard to talk about that stuff, but it's all I know is that I felt lost and trapped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I moved, and I still felt lost and trapped. I was in a house in Austin. You were literally trapped because <laughs> you couldn't go out into the kitchen and use it. Right. <laughs> like you know, I was living with so many people I didn't like, and I worked a shitty barista job at a fancy coffee shop downtown that I got fired for. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. Um. Somebody. <laughs> Uh, like a businessman had called in and told me I didn't look peppy enough. Oh, and that I had an attitude. That guy. Da 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 da. Yeah. Some misogynistic ass fuck dick balls. <laughs> I'm gonna kill him. It was it was it was amazing though because I was she so didn't upset. smile enough. They were like she didn't seem happy to greet us, and I was like I wasn't. I worked six a.m. to like noon every day. I had to open the shop, like put the money in the register, count everything in. I wasn't being paid a manager's fee to do that, mm-hmm. even though I was managing the, the entire cafe until mm-hmm. they rolled in at 10. Yeah. So I was already unhappy. It was kind of a blessing in disguise. But, you know, I, I got an office job. I lucked out. I found like a real salary, big girl, pull up your slacks and get to work <laughs> job. <laughs> but when you have those jobs and you work actual hours... It's real hard to give a fuck about anything else. God, is it ever? Mm-hmm. Like you, it, it's so silly, and I heard people say that before, but it just drains you. Yeah, that's the, they sitting, call it the grind for a reason. Like sitting fucking sucks the life out of you. It was it was brutal, and my job was I marketed research about VoIP technology. <laughs> like, do you know how little anyone wants to read a study about SIP trunking? 
I do because I've talked to every one of those people and had to convince them that it was something they wanted. Oh my god! And it was like the people I worked with are great, but it, again, you just stop doing anything, and mm. everything compounds. Like everything feels like guilt. Well, I'm in Austin. Shouldn't this be better? Like I got out of home. I moved away. Shouldn't I be doing something? There are rooms. There are people making cool comedy. Why am I not doing it? Mm. I think it goes back to what you were talking about, like the pressure to do stand up constantly. The yeah. idea that there's a right way to do stand up. Yeah. It's all or no- again, all or nothing. You're either doing it exactly the way that, you know, so-and-so told you to do it. Like, even, like, Graham Clark did a thing where it's like, you got to go up every night. Like, I, I've gone up every night for, like, 15 years, and that's how I got an hour. I'm like, well, that's... Not everybody has done it exactly the same way, you know, mm-hmm. and that's not the only route. Yeah. But when you hear that from somebody you respect, and you hear it from a lot of people you respect, it seems like the only way to do it, and anything else is not legit. And so then you just... You're not grinding, you're not paying your dues. That's what it is. Yeah. So then maybe it, it gets to that point where you're like, well, if I can't do it all in, then I guess I shouldn't do it at all. Yeah. That's what I was really... I was teetering on that just, like, for a day, and then I was like, wait a second. No, it's much better to do it part way than not do it at all because I love doing it. Right. So why don't I just do it part way and love it that much and then see where it goes from there. But yeah, no, I totally know what you mean. And when it's like you're, you have to spend your whole day like trying to sell VoIP research to people, which doesn't even yeah. seem like something that could be a job. It's, it, at the time, it was not something we actually needed. It was just for SEO reasons. Like it was just content to put in the web to make our like website look more important than it was. <laughs> That's and so, so funny. Yeah, oh it's, it's all just like Busy research. work. Yeah, it... it it was like full-time busy work and it, it does get to a point where you just like I had compounded everything I had felt for the past two years I had taken this job and it was supposed to make things easier financially I was going to be on my feet but okay now I'm on my feet I've got a better you know place mm-hmm. I'm I'm in Austin I'm not in East Texas it's not New York but I'm doing it why can't I do it I just felt frozen mm-hmm. in that job and I think that people don't realize how like, the stand-up scene can be very welcoming, like, yeah. but it also does have that kind of pressure to go all or nothing, mm-hmm. and people don't really start taking you seriously until they've seen you at X number of mics. Mm-hmm. They want to know that you are in it fully and committed, yep. and I felt like I wouldn't be able to get to that level, and I did exactly what you had talked about, where I just, I crumbled, yeah. and I didn't have any confidence, and I felt so... Yeah distant from my family, from my core. Like, those mm-hmm. people in New York who I talk to all the time, who I missed, they were still doing stuff. Like, time didn't stop for them. They didn't lose two years. Yeah. And I got very bitter. Yeah. And, and, like, it's hard why to... Why you? Why yeah. not me? Yeah, it's hard to make art if all you're doing is stewing in bitterness. And, and like, comparing yourself. sorry for yourself. And, like... I love feeling sorry for myself. I do it so much. Me too. It's my, it's my bad habit. I spent so many years being, like... I would give a limb to take a UCB improv class. Why couldn't I have moved with $3,000 saved? Like, I could have. Is that how much it costs to take an improv class there? It's 700 a class. Holy God. It's a lot cheaper out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I and I had friends, like, who, who took, like, an extra year off, and they stayed at home and worked, and they saved that money. And so when they moved, they took improv 101, mm-hmm. 102. But I, I couldn't stay sane in my house. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and so I just had to accept that maybe that wasn't going to be for me. And yeah. I had to find another way to make things and do comedy. And stand-up yeah. was the answer. I could just go to several mics a night and just shout at people. And that was, like, <laughs> considered funny. And then yeah. I'd keep doing it and get better. <laughs> and, um, and and so I, I didn't have anything. I guess it just became another year of, like, 
more things happen. Like my house burned down. Um, oh Jesus! February Christ. of last year in Austin. Yeah, the one I moved in with all the people, and it burned down the week. The fridge was too crowded, or what? I, I'm sure that's what happened. Um, <laughs> I think someone left a cigarette butt lit outside. Oh, oh dear. So the house burned down. It was a duplex. We, the side beside us was completely gone. Wow. Our side was half gone and my room was on the half. That was gone. That was gone. I lost a lot of important documents and I lost every photo from SNL, like oh. scripts, like all of my New York memories. Oh, that that's I'd, heartbreaking. Yeah. Oh God, the symbolism. God. The things that you Fuck. put the, the like effort into, the things yeah. that I would read at night and be like. This was my life. Like, it doesn't matter where I am right now. It's like a Coen Brothers movie that you were living in. Like, this is like comedy of errors almost. It was, it was depressing. The worst part was that house burned down the day before I was going to pack up and move to a new fancy apartment. (laughs) I know. Like, and I didn't know what to do. The only thing I grabbed was my passport because my husband lived in Canada. We weren't married at the time. We were just dating, going back and forth. And I thought, well, God, if I have to move to Canada, I need to have this. So you got it from the burning building. Like, I woke up. The house was on fire. I took a photo because I was in shock. And I was like, I just need to, like, prove this is happening, right? Like, I need to wake up. I didn't know what to tell my employer. I sent them a photo just, like, out the window of, like, walls of fire. My house is on fire. Yeah, just like, I... Like, please, take all the time you need. Well, I emailed. I was like, do I need to come in and... I'm very anxious. I have a slew of anxiety issues. And they didn't respond really quickly. It was 4 a.m. They were probably asleep. <laughs> but I was sitting at my, like, on the, the sidewalk in, like, those, like, stress blankets that the firefighters give you. <laughs> I'm just, like, crying. Oh, the news anchors had already arrived. Like, as we were coming out of the building, like, they got in the tip before we did. I was like, thanks for letting us know. Yeah, that our so, house was on fire, you <sighs> dickbags. And they were out, like, taking footage of us looking sad. So I pretty much just, like, lost it. I started screaming at these people for, like, profiting on my sadness. That's yeah. my house burning down. Like, oh. we were all huddled, little masses. Oh. And no one answered my email from work. And all of these, like, I called Cass on FaceTime. And I just, like, showed him the building. And he was like, I'm in Canada. I feel very helpless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like, I feel very helpless. And I'm standing right in front of it. And <laughs> it just, I I went to work. Like, I oh, wow. walked into the building in, like, no bra, like, I sweatpants. Y'all get my mail. <laughs> and I, I, like, found my boss as he was walking in. He goes, what happened? And I was like, um, my house burned down. I didn't know if I was allowed to take a day off. I don't think I have any PTO. I need to get, like, get it approved, but no one told me, and I just oh, don't know what to do. God. And uh, my friend who I was moving in with worked with me at the time, so she took the day off as well. We went to her house. She, like, helped me wash up. I put clothes on. <sighs> we, uh, we went and got, like, five beers at lunch and just, like, had to breathe. The next day, she helped me get what we could take from the house. Thankfully, a lot of my clothes were okay because they were further in the building. Okay. Um, but all of my personal belongings, my books, my journals, my oh. like birth certificate, my bed, my laptop, like oh, all the things that had real value and worth to me oh. were gone. Like two pairs of blue jeans I'd had since 2011 weren't. And I was like, well, I guess great, that's I great. Great, I got pants. Yeah. Um, so we, like, I was very really lucky to have my clothes and we, we packed up what we could. Mm-hmm. 
we cleaned up what we could and then we just left I it. I presume you did not have renter's insurance. It was a Craigslist apartment. Yeah. I yeah. didn't know that renter's insurance was a thing you could have for those. Yeah. And so I didn't. I lost everything. Ugh. That's um, so heartbreaking. And then... You know, I, I like to think that there are low lows and high highs, but by the time that it happened, it had just been like two years. Just low. Just kind of the shit. universe kicking the shit out of you, basically. Yeah, right. And, and it Fun almost, thing. it feels like laughable. Did you I, have a hysterical laughing moment at any point? Absolutely. Like, I, when we were at that lunch, like, the day my house had burned down. How am I not dead? <laughs> like, <laughs> you just lose it. You're like, what the fuck is going on? Why is this happening? This is insane, right? Like, am I being pranked? Is Ashton Kutcher still doing that? Like, where are the cameras? Because I need to know. And, but again, that was the moment. Like, that day. That shit. I moved into my nice new apartment. The nicest apartment I'd ever lived in. It was just a real basic plain apartment. But it had a lease and my name was on it. And that felt like a big accomplishment. Mm -hmm. And I remember, like, putting my bullshit on the floor. And sitting down, and I bought, like, a little notebook from Walmart. And I was like, let's go. And I started writing. And I started writing about the fire. And I started writing about, like, being at home and my family. And I started writing about the job and how shitty it was. And how there's this one person who always just misquotes the office. And I hate it. (laughs) And it just got to a point where I had filled up, like, half the notebook. And I just sat there. And I was like, okay. I need to do something yeah. now. Like, I can't let this keep kicking me because there's too much terrible, funny stuff that's happening to me <laughs> that will feel better to tell on stage. Because yeah. that's that's the best kind of comedy, right? Oh, yeah. Just God. People yeah. who went through some bullshit and you either laugh because you relate to it or you laugh because you know how shitty it is and you're really happy it didn't happen to you. Yeah. Like, I, I wanted... To make it worth it. Yeah. I wanted to make those shitty, terrible things into something. Mm-hmm. And then things were good, you know? I kept working that job, but I was writing. Mm-hmm. I got to go back to New York. I married my best friend on the Chris Gethard show, on this show that meant so oh, much to me. A. Did you not know that? No. Sorry, so I, was, I, I couldn't wait for her to tell this part. I, I know. was like, it's so exciting. I kind of want to take a like, quick pause and yeah. then can we, can, now that it's kind of come to this natural point of like, I started writing again, things started turning around. I want to hear the positive uptake, but I want to air out the studio just a little bit oh, first. Absolutely. Is that cool? Yeah. And we're, we're back. back. <laughs> Just had to take a little break, and now we are coming back to the turnaround part of the story. The, um, the, the good part, as many <laughs> like to call it. Yeah. So you and Cass were uh, continuing on your long-distance relationship while you were doing this job. And So wait, like, when did you actually start, like, dating online? So in, in the weird way that people start dating, like, we were pretty secure with, like, dating each other um, by the end of December of that year. I kind of came back. I was very sad. I was fucking around a little, trying to figure out, like, what I wanted to do with my life. And Is that 2013? 2013. Yeah. And um, we we just solidified it. We said, I don't want to do this with anyone else. And this may not work, but let's shoot for a visit. Let's just see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, the first visit we had, uh, I was still working. I lived in that house before it burned down, mm-hmm. that one bedroom. Did he come to visit you in Texas, or when was he living in Vancouver or somewhere else? He before? lived in Kelowna. Okay, um, so he came to visit me, 
and we were idiots because we knew we lied to each other, but we never really met, and we made the visit um, one month long. Which wow, is that's really optimistic. <laughs> yeah. Um, he also had like a buddy pass to fly in, so he flew into Dallas. I had to rent a car and pick him up. And so if anything went wrong and he wanted to leave, I would have to rent a car and like drive him to Dallas. Oh, you sweetie pies. <laughs> it would have been a nightmare, but the first day um, I took him to a, a mini golf course. It's pretty famous in Austin. And we had snow cones and cider and we played mini golf. And he told me, like, after he was like, I knew. Like, I knew that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Oh, it snow cones with you on a mini golf course. <laughs> By the giant T-Rex. And Katie. <laughs> I just love love. <laughs> and it was, it really was perfect. Like, every visit was, he'd come for a month, and then I went for two weeks. And then he would come for a week, and then I would go for three. And we, I had a really good break. Like, again, I stopped writing because I needed money and this job was my first salary job and I didn't understand, like, oh, there are really a lot of perks that come with that. Mostly um, we had really good vacation policies. Um, I had a good bonus policy so I got a really good yearly bonus. I was very lucky that my company gave me, um, essentially, after you hit one year, you'd get a week or you get a month, I'm sorry, where you could work wherever you wanted, essentially. Wow. If you oh, could nice. take your laptop. And so the only stipulations were to be online around business hours, but then it's pretty much like they know you're not really doing any work, so it's pretty lax. You just check in, answer some emails, and then you're on, like, a paid vacation. Right on. And so I came to Canada so many times, uh, Kelowna and then Vancouver, and he would come to Austin, and we would just thrive. We would mm, mm-hmm. enjoy each other's company. We would watch the movies on the couch and we would go out and see shows and comedy and we would like pitch ideas to each other and like write things oh, together. Yes. You... Just like us. Yeah. <laughs> We're in friend love. <laughs> the just, best just kind in of love. love. Yeah, it's that's basically it's just love. love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and, and it's it's great to meet someone who's also creatively driven. And Cass is he yeah. Um, he runs a magazine, like he edits, produces it. It's a pop culture magazine and it's only had two issues, but it's incredible. And he makes art, like cool pop culture art, things I would want to buy and put on my wall. He is a writer and wants to do sketch and comedy and he's mm-hmm. very humble and I'm very aggressive and loudmouth. And I'm like, no, you are great. And I am great. And we are going to make things. <laughs> <laughs> I love just like how much you light up talking about him. <laughs> it's like, really sweet. <laughs> Yeah, he's like your cocaine or something. It's like, we're going to own this city together. <laughs> I love it. Like, he's the first person I had met after I had really started writing again. You know, I told him about it. I was like, hey, I'm I'm feeling kind of good. And he's like, I want you to just go do one mic. Like, I want you to feel it again. And I did. I was like, oh. Oh, yeah. I remember this feeling. Um, so, you know, in June of last year, we got married on the show that we met through. And we flew out to New York, and I finally got to take him. It was you know, the first time I'd seen my friends. The first time I'd been back in that place. I took him to all of the shitty places I stayed. I took him to my favorite bagel shop. We waited in line for ASCAP for hours. Um, we got to go to the Chris Gethard show. We got to be in the Chris Gethard show. We had wedding cake, and Will Ferrell was there, and it was very weird. And then... <laughs> After we went to the bar, which was always the best part of the Chris Gethard show, and everyone bought us drinks, and I got a hug and talked to everyone that I missed. Oh. People that I thought, like, would be weird to see, people I kind of 
been shitty to. Again, all my fault were there. And we had good interactions. And they told Cass, hey, she's a good one. Hold on to her. Aww. And it felt that is so validating. It's beautiful. <laughs> it ended the way I would have wanted my wedding to end. I didn't think I'd ever have a wedding. I, I rounded up everyone. I was very drunk and very excited. And I said, guys, there's one place I want to go. Planet Rose Karaoke. <laughs> and, like, despite how good they were feeling or not, the whole fucking crew came out. Like, people I had just met, people I'd known forever came out. We did karaoke in my wedding dress. It was magical. We were out till 3 a.m. We had a hotel room. And we were just not even into it because we were having the best night. Like, Mal Blum was the musical guest, and Mal came out with the band and, like, did karaoke with us. That was so incredible. Oh, my God. And so we we went to museums. We went to comedy shows. And that was pretty much the point where I was like, I've got the best support system in the world. I still have this family. They're not always with me, but they're there. They're out in the world. You bring them with you in whatever work you are doing now, too, right? Yeah. Like, so every time that you go on stage, they got your back, even if they're not in town. It's like... Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's just, honestly, just the confidence of being in that group gives you and the, the welcome that they give you when they see you again. Like, it never dies out. And I found so much of my life through this weird show, through this great group of people. You know, I met Cass. I got to be back there to have this cathartic moment. Like, who gets that kind of mm-hmm. that closure? Coming back to the place where you felt like you I'm, failed. I'm before. really, really happy for you that it did feel good. Like, I've had experiences where I go and I have an amazing time, and then I go back a year later and it's totally changed. You're like, oh, this isn't how I remembered it at all. Like, yeah. only, like, one person still remembers even who I am and, like... Whatever. So, like, it could go many different ways, and I'm really glad that it was so positive for you. For to get you. to That's go... That's the good, good shit. <laughs> to go there when it was, like, you you had left, like, at your nadir, basically. Right. Like, everything is shitty. I feel like I failed. I have to go home and really feel like I failed for a while. And then, like, to come back and have everyone say, like, you know what? Like, we get why you are not 100% perfect. Like, we understand it, and we're here for you. Like, that's such a wonderful thing. Yeah, and in Mm. time, we underestimate how important that is to heal, and... Oh, God, yeah. You know, to be that far away from everything, like, to understand, really, what a blip that was Mm -hmm. in in the universe. Mm -hmm. How, like, warm that feels to know that my fuck-ups are not universally on everyone's minds. Like, (laughs) they so rarely are. And and as an anxious person, as somebody who's very, like, you know, um, I'm doing a lot of hand gestures, which is great for an audio medium. (laughs) Um, But just to, like, go to someone who lives inside their head a lot, which is something that I do for sure, and just, like, turn things over in my mind and think, like, this is as important to other people as it is to me because it's so important to me. Yeah. And realizing that it isn't, and other people are not waiting for you to fail. They don't want you to fail. Like, by and large, most people don't. They would actually really prefer if you succeed Most and do well. people honestly don't think one thing or another yeah. of you. If they're, but if they're even tangentially related to you, they probably want good things to happen to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, like, most people aren't waiting for you to have a comeuppance moment, except for a dickhead who wants to, like, laugh at you in a Starbucks drive-thru. <laughs> yeah. But fuck those people. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. I, I mean, closure is a, a concept that I think sounds good on paper, but never really exists in the, in the world. Mm-hmm. And to have a sense of, like, a cyclical motion everything. Mm. To be able to go back to where I thought I started. That's beautifully said. Yeah, and then it, I... It, it, you know, it put a fire under my ass. Like, I got to a point where I was in Austin. I wasn't doing the comedy stuff I wanted to do, so, but I was writing everything down. Mm-hmm. I wrote 
sets. I wrote scripts. I tried anything I could from the comfort of my home because I still couldn't get around the city very well without a car. I couldn't afford to go out every night when Mm -hmm. I knew I had to work. But I was at home reading everything, watching everything, writing everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all doing the work. Yeah. And all it's that like is doing the work. When you have those downtimes, it's so good to get into, like, just generating or studying something else or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, you can use all the different periods of your creative, yeah. like, flow, yeah, I guess. Does that totally. make sense? To, like, do something else, even if it's not exactly one thing, like going out and performing. You're still cultivating all the stuff in the background that you're going to draw from later. Totally. And... It was just about, like, something clicked. It Mm -hmm. was so weird because I wasn't even just writing again. Like, my sister started going to UT Austin, and she'd come over all the time, and we would play guitar and sing, and she is such a positive, like, vibe in my life. And she got the worst of our family stuff. She was in the house after me and my other sister graduated, and she really carried the weight of a lot of the things that I only tangentially felt. Mm -hmm. And she would tell me. And she would open up to me. And we had this bond and this moment where we were going to start a band. We're going to make anything. We're going to take on the world. And and then I had to move. Like, I moved to Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And I still talk to her every day. And she's such a great, positive, wonderful, exciting, incredible person. Like, all the adjectives you can give mm-hmm. to a person. She encompasses everything good and weird and funky in the world. Awesome. Yeah, like, the last time I saw her, though, like, the real, the circumstances of me seeing her, though, were um, my dad passed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I was visiting here, and I planned on, like, moving in February. Um, I was here for Christmas, and my dad suffered a double aneurysm. Um, It was very sudden. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, he passed. Uh, he was on life support. Uh, we had to pull the plug on Christmas. And fuck. Yeah. Um, and y- you know, you realize that making art and doing comedy, even um, it comes from those darknesses. It comes from things that affect you. Like it's emotional. It's, oh, yeah. it's about putting something out that is you. And nothing will make you reevaluate. Like, your family life and the relief you found when you found a new family, whether it was Gethard or even my in-laws who were wonderful. Mm-hmm. All the times I'd ever thought, no, I have a family. I've got a place in the world. I have a thing. And then to lose my dad, it was like, I feel guilty for every time I ever thought that. Mm. And I think that, you know, I, I had to move right after um, he passed. So I'm unemployed. And I'm doing comedy as much as I can. I'm up to, like, four nights a week right now. That's amazing. But it's still, you know, when you see the same people every night, you start to worry about doing the same material every night. Yeah, totally. It's it's a little hard, like, to get back on my feet and to figure out what my place is here when I don't really, like, I don't legally, like, belong yet. I'm not a citizen. I don't have residency. Um, Hopefully they won't, but the government could kick me out. And I don't know what I would do then. Please don't, the government, if yeah. you're listening. Yeah, the Canadian government. Why are you listening to this podcast? Yeah. Go do your job. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that my dad passing was, again, such a low, low after I felt like I'd gotten back on my feet. Mm-hmm. And it did affect me, and it still does. Like, I have not had a single day where I haven't been sad about it. Yeah. And it's it's complicated cuz we weren't close. Like mm-hmm. SNL was important to us. He gave me those records, but he was also a violent, volatile man. Mm-hmm. And 
I can't negotiate those memories. Like, I don't know how to negotiate the past to fit with what I need or Mm -hmm. to build a narrative that makes that okay. It's not. But it's not kicking me as hard as anything else did because I feel like I finally have stability. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you look at all of that shit, everywhere I've been, the highs and the lows, I think that I would have handled all of it so much better if Cass had been in my life so much earlier, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, having a support system and someone who's unequivocally, like, on your side, always with you. I know that I'm a better person for knowing him and that we build each other up. So, you know, I moved. I left everything. I packed two suitcases and I said, this is what we're doing. And I never thought Vancouver is where I'd be, but... You know, I am. Like, I'm here. And so I started doing stand-up as often as I can. And I'm writing and I'm working on projects and I'm doing, you know, music things and art things and everything that I can get my hands on. Because if I'm going to fail at something, it won't be the first time and it won't be the last. But you're going all in. Yeah. Like, what do I have to lose? Fucking A. (laughs) Fucking A. Denise, that was amazing. (laughs) Thank you so much. For being our guest today. This feels like a very natural end sure. to the podcast. How are you doing there, I'm feeling Chris? emotional. This is very <laughs> good. I don't know. All of the, like, empathness of me. It's like all of our eyes are shiny. Yeah. In the light of the laptop. <laughs> <laughs> that was, yeah, that was really a lot more emotional than I thought it was going to be. Uh, and I even knew some of the stuff that was going to come up. So, mm-hmm. wow. Thank you so much for coming and yeah. being on the show. Um I yeah. guess that's it. Keep keep an eye out for you at lots of different comedy things and oh. music things. And yeah, any any room where people have just been waiting four hours to tell five minutes of jokes, I'm probably there. So <laughs> keep an eye I out. Look for a shock of beautiful green hair. <laughs> I, I do look like I'm doing a full-time Enid Coleslaw um, cosplay right now. Just so. some serious ghost world realness. Yeah. Um, Ramona Flowers. Like, whatever you want. Like, maybe <laughs> Joker on a bad hair day. I don't know. <laughs> Alternative bangs. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, comic book heart. I yeah. guess. Something like sure. that. Sure. <laughs> what a beautiful right. time. Uh, we'll have to have you back again to maybe dig into some, like, comedy weirdness at some point. I'd just, love like, to do that. That would totally. be great. Talk, talk TV shows. Hell yeah. Yeah. Oh, we could just spend all day talking our <laughs> comedy likes. We never even got into it. Fuck, that's a whole nother show. Exactly. Guess we'll have to do it again. Yeah, we'll see you next time on the uh, Sea Hags podcast. See ya. See ya. See ya.